Let's turn our thoughts to God's Word then this morning. And for those who weren't here last Sunday, we began what will be a series of studies over a number of weeks dealing with what we have called the most important questions in life. Last week we dealt with the question, why do I exist? And hopefully we came up with some kind of answer to that question. Don't have time to go over that again. But today we want to move on from that and look at this question, is there a God? Is there a God? And you may be tempted to say, well, I guess the reason I'm in church this morning is because I do believe there is a God. So why even bother with the question? Well, I think it's good for us to tease out something of what Scripture is saying and also so that we are better equipped as God's people in the world of today because many outside of the church are certainly asking this question. Is there a God? And many have come up with their own answer to that question. Let me read you again two of the verses that we read there in Romans 1 from a different translation. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Just try and hold that in your mind for a moment and, and consider that along with what has been written or said, recorded in writing by a singer, Paula Cole. Contrast the two, if you will. This is what she said. As a child, I felt what we call God, that spirit, that energy. Then you get schooled by society, and I rationalized that it didn't exist. It made me profoundly unhappy that there was no meaning, no logic, no unity to life. Isn't that a sad statement? And even sadder still is the fact that she is speaking not only for herself, I think, in these words, but she is speaking for many in society, in our world, this morning. In today's culture, there are those, and I think there are many of them, who want to believe that God exists, but for one reason or another, find that they cannot make that choice. And there may be many reasons for that. It may be because of background. It may be because of their upbringing. Maybe something that they learned in school or college or university. And it's led them away from accepting that, yes, God does exist. For others, maybe they've had some kind of negative experience in life and they now, because of that, cannot accept God. 
many, many reasons, many answers. But for whatever reason, many in our society today feel that they have answered our question, is there a God? And the resounding answer is no. There is no God. And then there are others. I trust like most, if not all of us, in here this morning who fully embrace the whole concept of a real God. A God who loves us wholeheartedly. And then there are some who fall somewhere in between the two. They just simply do not know. They have no answer. Let me give you three views on God's existence. I don't want to oversimplify this, but I think really when you condense it down, there are really only three ways you can approach this subject. There might be, and I'm sure there are, many variations within each category. We're not going there this morning because I believe that everyone falls somewhere within these three. So what are they? First of all, there is atheism. This is the view that says there is no God. Atheism. Notice how the word is put together. It begins with the prefix a, and then theism. A meaning no. Theism, referring to God. An atheist does not believe that there is a God. An atheist has no place for what we might call the supernatural world at all. He or she has dismissed the whole concept of God. That is the first position, atheism. And then there is this word agnosticism. This is the kind of middle position. There may be, but on the other hand, there may not be a God. Notice the word is built in a similar way. Begins with the same prefix, a, meaning no, but ends with the word gnostic, which is the Greek word for knowledge. There might be, there might not be. This person doesn't really know how to respond to, to that question. And they would say, if you began discussing with them, that really this kind of knowledge is not open to us. It's not available to us. Therefore, the only position can be an agnostic position because we can never fully and truly know the answer to that question. That's the middle position, agnosticism. And then there is the third position, theism, which would say categorically, yes, beyond all shadow of a doubt, there is a God. Just as the atheist would say no, the theist would say yes, absolutely. Absolute knowledge that there is a God, the theist. That is my position. I'm sure that is the position of 
most of you here this morning. And in particular, I would describe myself, and I'm sure you would describe yourself, as a Christian theist, which means that I believe in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as it were. So these are the three main views that people in our world hold today regarding God. And every person that you ever come in contact with is going to be in one of those three positions. But the task before us this morning is to try and fully answer that question. Show you, if you like, why you should believe that there is a God. And we'll take the rest of the time that we have this morning to try and answer that. And even with the time we have, it will only be a condensed version. This is a huge subject that we have before us. So let's try and look at it. Try and give you six reasons to believe in God. Now I'm sure there will be others. But for our thoughts this morning, this will be, I hope and I pray, sufficient. Six reasons. Number one, it is a universally held belief. What do we mean by that? Well, simply this, that throughout history, until most recent history in our world, in all cultures, across all peoples, and all ethnic groups have been convinced that there is a God. Whether they would use even that term or not, the idea of being an atheist or even the idea of being an agnostic are fairly recent ideas. Certainly as we look at the span of the history of man, billions of people, who represent all kinds of diverse positions, sociologically, intellectually, emotionally, educationally, they believe that, yes, there is something or someone more. Whether they would go as far as to say this is God in the way that we understand God, whether they would go as far as to say this is the Creator, in the way that we accept creation, I'm not so sure. But there is something there universally held by mankind down through the centuries. But of course the fact that so many people accept a view doesn't make that necessarily true, does it? But when so many people through the ages are so personally convinced about God, the fact that God, yes, he exists, then perhaps we can gain some more confidence from that. Can they all be mistaken? Well, I'll leave you to answer that question. One of the reasons to believe in God is, surely it is a universally held belief one way or another. Secondly, consider the complexity of our world. And 
who can really tease all of that out? You only have to look at the complexity of our planet to begin to say that behind all of this there has to be a designer, a creator who not only created this universe but he is still looking after it day after day after day. There has to be a creator somewhere. Many examples show God's design. Let me give you just two this morning. Think of the earth. This planet that you and I are resident on this morning. Planet earth. What about it? Well consider for example its size. Its size is perfect. The earth's size and its corresponding gravity holds a thin layer of mostly nitrogen and oxygen gases only extending to something like 50 miles above the earth's surface. There has to be a creator here. If earth was smaller, then an atmosphere would be impossible. Earth would be like mercury. If earth were larger, its atmosphere would contain free hydrogen. Earth would then be like Jupiter. Earth's size has been meticulously designed. There has to be a creator here. Earth is the only known planet equipped with this kind of atmosphere. The right mixture of gases exists on planet Earth and life can be sustained. Plant life, animal life, human life. And the Earth is located at exactly the right distance from the sun and that's important as well if we were further away from the sun we would all freeze if we were closer to the sun we would all burn up but the earth remains at this critical distance from the sun while it rotates around it and also rotating of course on its own axis allowing all of the earth to be warmed and cooled every day. Isn't there a creator behind this? There has to be, in my estimation. But if that's not enough, we could go on all day talking about the planet Earth. Think of the human brain simultaneously processing all of that information that is coming at each one of us from all kinds of directions all day, every day. Your brain and mine takes in all the colors and the sounds and the objects and the temperature, the pressure of your feet against the floor, the sounds around you, dryness of your mouth, even the texture of my Bible in my hand. And it's processing all of that at the same time. And beyond that, our brain can deal with all our emotional responses, all our thoughts, all our memories. And then keeping track of the ongoing functions of each of our bodies, enabling us to breathe, enabling our eyelids to 
open and close, dealing with hunger, dealing with movement in our limbs and in all of our muscles, a brain that deals with more than a million pieces of information every second, and not only dealing with it but evaluating all of that every day, allowing us to act and perform on all of it. Can we say that mere chance came up with that? No way. How does one explain the existence of the human brain? Only a mind more intelligent, only a mind more knowledgeable could have created the human brain. I was interested in what C.S. Lewis said on one occasion. Listen to this. You need to stay with it, really. He said that if there is no intelligence behind the universe, then nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. Thought, he said, is merely the byproduct of some atoms within my skull. But if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true? And if I can't trust my own thinking... Of course, I can't trust arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe God, I can't believe in thought. So I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. That's a very clever statement. As I said, it's difficult to get your head round. Sorry, Steve? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there we have it. The second reason to believe in God is the sheer complexity of God's creation. The earth, the human brain, just to take two illustrations. And the third reason to believe in God is, I would suggest to you, random chance is an impossibility. It's impossible. Mere chance isn't an adequate explanation of creation. Imagine looking at, you know that um, place, Mount Rushmore in, in America, where they've carved out in the, in the stone the features of some of their presidents, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and, and Roosevelt. Do you think that came about by mere chance? Absolutely not. Could it be that given enough time, given the right wind and rain and storms and chance, that that could come about? Absolutely no way. Common sense tells us that one day somebody planned that. And one day, no doubt, I don't know how they did it, but no doubt teams of workers went there and spent a long, long time carving, chipping away at the stone and they came up with all of these figures that we now see. The distinguished astronomer Sir Frederick Hoyle showed how amino acids randomly coming together in a human cell is mathematically Absurd. 
He illustrated the weakness of chance, and this was his analogy. And I like this one. This is what he said. What are the chances that a tornado might blow through a junkyard containing the parts of a Boeing 747, then accidentally assemble them into a plane and leave it ready for takeoff? The possibilities are so small, he says, as to be negligible. Even if a tornado were to blow through enough junkyards to fill the whole universe. You see, it simply doesn't happen. And that is a good illustration of how ridiculous the chance kind of theory is. When you consider all the intricacies of life, of the universe, it is reasonable to come to this conclusion that there is an intelligent, loving creator behind all of this and he is providing all that you and I need for life. The Bible itself describes God as the author and sustainer of that life. Over in Hebrews 1 verse 3, the sun reflects God's own glory. And everything about him represents God exactly. He sustains the universe by the mighty power of his command. That's it, isn't it? Random chance is not possible. Fourthly, I kind of labored with this. What would be a way to put this up as a heading? And I don't want you to misunderstand this one. Humankind is inherently moral. Moral being the key word. There is an inherent sense of right and wrong, isn't there? And you cannot explain that biologically. There is no argument there. And there arises in all of us, in any culture, from any background, universal feelings of right and wrong. Even a thief gets upset when someone steals from him or her. Someone violently grabs a child from a family and then rapes that child. There is anger. There is revulsion. There is rage. And they want to confront that and get hold of that person regardless of where we come from, regardless of our culture. There is that sense of right and wrong. Where did it come from? Where did we get this sense of wrongness? How do we explain this universal law, as it were, in the conscience of all people that says, for example, murder for fun is wrong? We all know that. And in areas like courage, dying for a cause or for a friend, areas like love and dignity, duty and compassion, where did these things come from? If people are mere, merely products of some kind of process of evolution, survival of the fittest, why do we make sacrifices for one another? 
Where do we get this inner sense of right and wrong? Our conscience can only be explained by a loving creator. A creator who cares about the decisions and the harmony of humanity. That's where it comes from. God has built that in to each one of us. Humankind is inherently moral. It's a reason to believe in God. The fifth reason is divine revelation. God not only has revealed himself in what can be observed in nature, as we've already said, or in human life, but God has more specifically shown himself in the pages of his work, the Bible. God's thoughts, God's personality, God's attitudes are all here. And these can only be known as we read what is set down and God chooses to reveal that to each one of us. We're at a loss if God doesn't wish to be known. If God had chosen not to reveal himself to his creation, where would we be this morning? But God wants us. God longs for us to know him. And he has told us here in the pages of the Bible that we need to know him. We need to know about his character and we need to know how to relate to him. We need to know how to get into that personal relationship with him. And that makes the reliability of scripture, by the way, <clears throat> of the utmost importance. We need to consider that. don't have time to go into the detail of that this morning. But archaeological findings alone are confirming the accuracy of this book. Consider, for example, that find in northern Israel back in August 1993 confirmed the existence of King David. David who wrote so many of the Psalms that we know and love. What about the Dead Sea Scrolls and other archaeological discoveries and they continue to substantiate the historical accuracy of what is on the pages of God's word. The Bible written over a 1500 year span written essentially in three different languages in different locations on separate continents with many different authors covering a wide spectrum of subjects. It's all here and yet there is an astounding consistency to this message. Think of it. Let me just quickly try and condense down what it's about. The Bible is about this. God created the world in which you and I live and he created us specifically to have a relationship with him. Two, he deeply loves us. It's in here. Three, we have sinned. We have gone our own way. We are under God's judgment. We need his forgiveness. Four, God provides a way for us to be forgiven. Five, he asks us to receive his pardon. He longs for us to come into that relationship 
with him that will last not only through time but for all eternity. That's what's in here. That is the message that our world desperately needs to hear today. And along with that central script, as it were, that is woven all the way from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible specifically reveals God's character. The Bible lets us know that God loves us. He longs for us to be in an eternal relationship with him. We can believe in God because he has revealed himself. And number six, we can believe in God because of the person of Jesus Christ. This surely is the climax of the whole thing. This, if you like, is the supreme answer to the question that we posed at the beginning. Is there a God? Because unlike any other revelation of God, Jesus Christ surely is supreme. He is the clearest. He is the most specific picture of God that we will ever get. And as we read through the Gospels, we discover that he talked about his Father in heaven. But that wasn't from, as it were, a position of separation, but of very close union. Jesus said, John 14, 9 records it, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus claimed attributes that belong only to God. He claimed to be able to forgive sin. He claimed that he could give individuals an abundant life and give them eternal life in heaven. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So what proof did Jesus give to back up his claims to be God? Well, he did what no one else can do. Jesus performed miracles. He healed people, the blind, the crippled, the deaf. He even raised people from the dead. He had power over objects. He created food that could feed thousands. He could command a raging storm. And it would instantly be still. People everywhere followed Jesus. Because Jesus consistently met their individual needs. Jesus went about doing the miraculous. And all of this was recorded, and it's recorded for us, and we have it. Those who were eyewitnesses to these events, believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or believe because of the miracles I have done. John recorded that. 
Jesus revealed that although God sees us, views us as sinners worthy only of his punishment, his love for us ruled. And God came up, if you like, with a different plan. God would have his son receive the punishment that is ours. He would go to the cross. And Jesus willingly accepted this plan. Jesus was tor- <clears throat> pardon me Jesus was tortured Jesus was beaten with a with a whip crown of thorns was pushed into his brow spear went into his side and the nails went through his hands and through his feet and they secured him to that cross Jesus died so that you and I could be forgiven of all the religious no, religions known to humanity, only through Jesus will you see God reaching towards us. Only here will you see God revealing a plan through which he has provided a way for us to have that relationship with him because of Jesus' death. You and I can be forgiven, fully accepted by God, and genuinely loved by God. The most conclusive proof that Jesus is equal to God is here in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. His most closely scrutinized miracle, his own resurrection from the dead. Jesus said, three days and I will rise again. And on the third day, that enormous boulder. We had the rocks earlier on. This thing would have been like, you know, two tons or something. Sealing the way to the tomb, but it's now catapulted up the slope. The tomb is empty. The guard of well-trained Roman soldiers saw a blinding light and an angel burial clothes they're lying there where Jesus was and down through the years 2,000 years later legal and historical and logical analysis have been applied to that in so many ways and the most feasible conclusion still is that Jesus rose from the dead. Does God exist? If you want an answer, look to Jesus Christ. We're told the familiar words of John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So how is it in your life and in mine this morning? Do you have that relationship with God? Do you know this morning as you gather here in church that you are truly accepted and loved by him? You see, the decision really is up to each one of us individually. If we want to be forgiven by God, If we want to come into that relationship with him, we can at any moment 
Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. That's what he wants to do. We want proof that God exists. Go to Jesus, the risen Jesus. He's knocking at your heart's door and mine this morning. He is, gaining en- he is seeking to gain entrance into each of our lives and to all of our lives. Why not go to him this morning and in prayer? And say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. You know my life. You know how much I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I come to you this morning seeking that forgiveness come into my life. Thank you for wanting to be in a relationship with someone like me. And you know he's true to his word. He'll do that. He will come into the life of anyone who sincerely prays that kind of prayer. So does God exist? Well, we've looked at a lot of facts this morning. And I hope that you can conclude from at least some of that that a loving God does exist. That a loving God can be known in an intimate and personal relationship. But you know, at the end of the day, it's up to each one of us individually. What are we going to do regarding our relationship with him? May he help each one of us to truly know him and be absolutely sure that our God reigns this morning and go from this place and tell the world what we know to be true. May he help us so to do. Amen.